The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects, and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America's Stadium has hosted two Olympic Games, with a third one coming in 2028, two World Cup Finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, visit www.inspire, which spells inspire2022.org. Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Hope everyone out there is being safe. We want to talk a little USC Trojan football like we do each and every episode here on the Peristyle Podcast. And today we're going to talk with the coach, Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, harveyhyde.com. We're going to talk about the NFL draft, answer a bunch of your questions. Keep it a tight show today, but we got a bunch of questions we wanted to get to and we wanted to talk to the coach and Get his thoughts on everything that's going on. There's some new NCAA ruling about name, image, and likeness. I haven't dug into that too much, but we'll get the coach's opinion on that. Uh, if you have any questions or comments for us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you could call or text us, and the number is 424-254-9141. Please subscribe on Apple Podcast or any podcast platform out there. And if they have a way, you can give us uh, some feedback a little rating is always helpful. Five stars, we love those. Tell your friends about the show. All of that really helps to grow the show. We're heading into our 13th football season, which we hope to be our 13th football season. And we love to do that with the coach. He's on the line right now. How are you doing, coach? Ryan, I'm doing great, buddy. And thank you very much uh, for you know letting me be the co-pilot with you here and uh, do our weekly podcast i'm looking forward to it we've got a, we've had a lot of things happen in the world of football and all the question marks that are out there and uh now some new ncaa rules as far as in the game that have been proposed and also uh the possibility of all these other things happening that you just described so why don't we get started yeah let's jump in there and some news that came out uh wednesday morning uh from the ncaa mark emmert the president had a, a teleconference i haven't got to to read all through it yet. It's been a little bit, bit of a busy morning. And I don't know, Coach, if you've heard too much about it, but really the, the, you know, the, the big shift is going to be on name, image, and likeness. It's going to, at least from what I've read, the limited stuff of what I've read, that players would be able to go out and uh, be able to do uh, sponsorship deals and things like that, but really not things that are going to be um, associated with the school. So the school is not going to be setting them up to go uh, – do a commercial for a car dealer or something like that. Also the group stuff that the big, I guess the biggest take out of this is they're not going to have the NCAA football game. Um, and they're, you know, that group, uh, the group likeness stuff, that's not going to happen. So people wanted that to, to be a thing, but this would, this is a pretty big step forward from the amateurism that we've known for years and years to allowing these players to make money off their own name, image, and likeness. 
Uh, now, if they're like, say it's like a USC football player, like say Keaton Slovis was going to do some kind of commercial, he couldn't be wearing, at least the way I understand it, like USC gear, uh, well, you know, Trojan gear while he was doing that, but he could go out and, um, you know, be the spokesperson for some some company potentially owned by a USC alumni or something like that. So I don't, I don't know if you read too much about it, Coach. But what were your overall thoughts on this uh, kind of new shift in the NCAA? Well, I've got mixed emotions uh, as far as uh, I believe in amateur athletics. I really believe a person learns a lot from being a part of a university and part of a team and part of an educational process. And I think they get a lot from the opportunity of going to school for free. And they grow a lot from that. I think a college experience is really something that's great. I have always agreed that I think the universities and television and Nike and all these other products make a lot of money on the young men that are out there performing and demonstrating their skills along with television and everybody else. So I've got mixed emotions. Uh, You're going to have some players who are the players uh, that are the stars getting these opportunities. And you're going to have some players that, uh, that are just as important to a team as far as I'm concerned, because they're not a star unless somebody blocks for them or catches for them. Remember, someone's got to catch the pass that you throw or whatever <clears throat> that won't be recognized. So, you know, I think there'll be a split a little bit on the team this way. There'll be bigger stars and there'll be revenues. I don't know if they're going to uh, adjust or say you can only make so much, but I don't know how they're going to word all of that because some dealer might want to play a, a pay a star a lot of money to do a commercial. And, uh, and, uh, you know, maybe the commercial is worth more than the scholarship. I don't know. I'm just saying there's a lot of things that could happen with this type of setup. So I've got mixed emotions. I've got mixed emotions on a lot of the things that are happening in the NCAA uh, as far as uh, uh, the transferring, the availability of transferring uh, uh, now with uh, uh, the new drafting as far as a kid that doesn't have to go directly from uh, uh, basketball from from high school to the college and then goes he goes to this league and so on see I think I think an education is part of of going to college and knowing something more than just basketball or football I think it's carried on throughout your entire life and again I still understand that the money is very important too but I think there's parts of where our old-fashioned system has been very good to all of us. And I know there's a lot of changes that are going on in our world as far as rights and money, and financially that seems to be the number one thing. But sometimes I say there's got to be priorities, too. You have a doctor that might save your life or lives of many people that have to carry liability insurance and everything else, and I don't know what they're paid a certain amount of money and you've got other people that are coaching like myself when I was a coach making more money than some of the better doctors in the world. So I sort of I sort of am in that type of state now of I'm not sure if I like it or I don't. I think a person deserves the right to make money on who he is and so on. But uh there's a part of being a team member too and I think this is going to split it up. Yeah, this uh, there's a lot of potential for weird stuff. I was actually listening to Lane Kiffin uh, on on uh, Colin Cowherd's show today, and he he mentioned the same kind of stuff where there's a slippery slope. 
Um, and you still know, like, what's, you know, what's to stop a booster from, you know, he said buying like a hundred of a player's jerseys and things like that, which I don't even think that would come into play, but I, I, I apologize. I haven't dug into this uh, too much yet, but um, we'll, you know, we have time so we can go over it in the coming weeks, but it's definitely a, a shift. And I think a lot of it co- coincides with the Florida law going into place early. I know the NCAA would love to get some kind of, I don't think it was an injunction, but they were looking for on a national level to kind of put the states all at bay because all these states have different NIL uh, laws out there and different um, things on the books. California's didn't go into place for a few years. Florida passed one after California, but it was going to go into place in the middle of this year. So I believe in June of 2020. So I think they needed to do something now. That's why we've seen this uh, accelerated from the NCAA and certainly a shift from what we've seen before. Um, we're going to shift a little. Uh, the NFL draft, uh, we talked about this on Tunnel Vision. We, if you listen to our Dan Weber, Keely, your uh, podcast earlier this week, we talked about it too. But coach, I want to get your thoughts. You know, only two Trojans drafted uh, with uh, Austin Jackson going in the first round. Really a lack of linemen uh, on the West Coast. The Austin Jackson one thing was good, but... Um, you know, there just wasn't a lot of linemen uh, drafted from West Coast Pro, you know, from the Pac-12 West Coast programs. And, uh, you know, Michael Pittman going really early in the second round to the Colts seems like a good fit. But that was it. And then you had John Houston sign with the Pittsburgh Steelers as a, you know, undrafted free agent and uh, nothing else as of this point. No Drew Richmond, no Christian Rector that I've heard of uh, since, you know, at least since the last time I looked. So I kind of get your thoughts on that, Coach. Well, we we discussed this before, and I want to congratulate both Pittman and uh, Jackson. I think that they're going to have the opportunity now of, of playing in the NFL and playing on Sunday and making a nice living. Uh, both of these players will make the rosters uh, because of their draft draft position, and if they don't make it, it makes the people in the personnel department and uh, the coaching staff or whoever made these choices not look very good. So they've got to be what they think as people who can immediately make an impact on their football team. And uh, I thought uh, Austin went really for it was really fortunate. He went much higher than I thought he would, as you know. And I think uh, Pittman went really high. So congratulations to both of them. And and Pittman's being compared with some of the great receivers that have played for the Colts. I've always said that he had a special talent as far as lead leadership and big frame and ran fast at the combine and uh, is this possibility of a great special teams player. So uh, not surprised, but a little bit higher than I thought. Uh, and uh, Austin Jackson, congratulations to him. Uh, he's made some money and now he's in a position to play in the NFL and He's got a very important position as far as watching the back of Tua. I'm telling you that uh, that's going to be a big assignment. Yeah, that's uh, well. The interesting thing is because he, if he's going to play left tackle, Tua Tagovailoa is a left-handed quarterback, so he's really kind of like a right tackle in that situation. So, I, have you dealt with that, Coach? Where it's you had the lefty versus the righty. Like, would you move your left tackle to right tackle because that's the more important position? I, how does how would you do that? Well, I probably would, but when they drafted uh, uh, Jackson, they knew he was a, a left tackle at that time. Uh, they have a plan, obviously, and they knew that Tua was their quarterback. So, uh, you know, they, they, they had a plan, and they probably will put their strongest tackle, best pass blocker, blocker excuse me, 
on the left, on the right tackle spot, but that's your blind side as far as a quarterback is concerned. You don't see that person coming from the back side. So if you want protection, you obviously want your best pass blocker and your best blocker at the right tackle if you're left-handed. So that just makes sense. It's just opposite uh, from a right-handed quarterback. So I, I would think that's what they might do, but I know they have a plan, and maybe they think Austin can do it, get it done. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, uh, congratulations to him, and uh, I don't know when they'll go to camp or figure this all out, but they don't have a lot of time uh, once they do go to camp. And as I said last week, I certainly hope there is a football season because everybody needs it, wants it, and the universities certainly need it financially. Certainly do, Coach. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we had a question from Frank in Sacramento. He said, uh, no question that the NFL is a passing league. Half of the draft were quarterbacks, wide receivers, and cornerbacks. There were also six tackles drafted to protect the quarterbacks. I was shocked that Utah had uh, eight guys in the combine, but so few guys drafted early, none in the first round. Frank and Sacramento. I think Utah had nine in the combine, but then they end up having seven drafted, Frank. And uh, yeah, it's pretty good. They had three, I think in the first three rounds, they might have had three defensive backs go, but seven uh, picks overall. Zach Moss, the running back, he was like a fourth or fifth rounder, I believe. I got to go back and look. But Utah did by far did the best as far as most production. I think they've had actually 12 picks in the last two drafts where USC has had six. Well, uh, that's true because uh, they have uh, the type of athlete the NFL is looking for as far as they have toughness as far as from their coach. Their coach is a tough guy. Uh, he's on them. Uh, you either make it or break it. And uh, they play very physical type of football that uh, that you play in the NFL. Their practices are physical. Uh, they've got big defensive linemen who have overachieved. And a lot of these players have overachieved. They're not all four- and five-star players. They're three- and two-star players that have come in and beaten teams that have all the four- and five-star players. And uh, they've been evaluated as... NFL players, while they've really progressed and grown and uh, they've been forecasted uh, to be great players, and this is why the NFL wants them. So uh, uh, I can't tell you why, uh, but they've never had the highest recruiting class in the country or even in the top ten that I can believe, Utah, but they always seem to produce great football players through their program. And I think this is something that when these players go out and they are uh, successful in the NFL – people go back to the same well. And I think this is what they're looking at. And I think they did have some players that I really like as far as NFL players. Yeah. I mean, obviously development's a big part of that, right? Coach, like you talk about the recruiting classes for to have the twice as many players as USC drafted, even though USC's had much rank, uh, higher ranked classes, that's gotta be something on the development side uh, that Utah's able to do either a lack on USC side or just something Utah's very good at. No, they're very good at doing it, and it's a lack of what on the USC side. I mean, that's not been their philosophy, the tough guys. I mean, uh, you know, Utah throws the ball around, but they run the football, too. And they play tough defense. Uh, they're more of a balanced type of football team. They're not an air raid team or whatever. They're a very physical team. They've always had one big running back that plays the entire game and carries the football 30 times, and he's not tired or wanting to be substituted for or any of that. They've got skilled athletes, uh, and that's what's really important, that 
uh, can tackle and their their skill. Not that USC's can't, but it's the development, it's the philosophy, it's the practice, it's the tone of your practice everywhere you go, from the locker room to the way you ride the bus, to the way you take the practice field, to the way you act in practice, to the way you show respect to each other and to your coaches and everyone else. And I'm just saying this is part of what football is all about, as I was talking about earlier. It's part of discipline. It's part of wanting to go to work and wanting to prove something and not coming to the school as a star already. I'm a five-star. I'm a star. I want this number. I'm not coming. I mean, when you go to the University of Utah in Salt Lake City, you're happy to be there. You're not, you're not, you want to go to work. You look forward to going to work. And in the NFL, it's a job now. I mean, it's a little bit of a different situation. You have to want to go to work and you have to want to practice football. And I'm not a five-star player. I'm just a rookie and I have to prove myself. So there's a lot of different philosophies on depending what program you've gone to and how you've been treated at those programs as far as uh, during your development. Yeah. All right, let's go to a voicemail. We got our buddy Curtis. I'll play this for you, Coach. Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley. I just heard when they were going over the draft with Joe Burrow and LSU, they led the NCAA with empty set plays. All wide receivers with no extra blockers. Not much protection for the quarterback at LSU. But that's the way football is going. Curtis from Moreno Valley. He didn't really have a question in All there, right. but maybe if something USC could do. I don't know. What What do you think, Coach? No, I'd, I'd like you to maybe uh, uh, tell me that uh, question or comment again because I couldn't hear it very clearly. Oh, sorry about that, Coach. So Curtis Moreno Valley called in. Basically, LSU led the NCAA in empty sets last year, and they still had that very high-powered offense. I think he implied, is that something USC could do? LSU with the USS. Oh. Well, yeah, I think uh, uh, USC could do what LSU did if they had the same type of philosophy and leader and same type of players. You know, you don't look how many players LSU has that have developed. And, you know, those kids down there in the South, it's important to play football. A lot of these kids, football is their whole life, and they're playing for their families, and they're playing for everything that's surrounding them, the future, the community, and uh, and uh, they're not they're very hungry. Okay, they're very hungry, and it means a lot to those programs in the Southeastern Conference and so on. It's it's not a business, but it's close to as business as it can be. For if you notice in the drafting and the situations of these players, as far as how the excitement and how the family gets together and cheers. Not that others don't do that, but it seems to be to me a little different type of emotion that you might see in the West Coast. Not that the West Coast, these players aren't really happy that they're drafted, but I think it's a, a big deal. And I and uh, and it's a breakthrough for them. But you've got to have athletes to start with, and then you've got to be able to put them in a situation where they develop and they become a draftable player. Uh, when the Southeastern Conference gets as many players as uh, they get drafted, I think that's more or less of a statement saying we've got double that the Pac-12 has. Now that's saying they must have double the players or double something to make that happen. And the Pac-12, as you mentioned earlier, has less big guys, big guys in 
the line, and that's what uh, has been the difference between the draftable players. Is they don't have those linemen that the Southeastern Conference has, so obviously they get more players drafted than what the Pac-12 does as far as in the line play. So, uh, you know, yeah, you, it's it's hard to compare LSU with USC because it's a religion down there. I mean, it's different. At USC, it's religion, but it's sort of lost some of its uh, congregation. It needs to really get back to that, and the way you get back to that is the winning habits that it's had in the past as far as with the Pete Carroll era and so on, where people really believe it. And practice becomes a challenge at USC. When Saturday rolls around, you've already played against the best defensive end you're going to play against the whole year, but you did it all week in practice. And that's how you get better. You get better practicing against great players and uh, all week than just on Saturday. So I think that's the difference of the Southeastern Conference and other conferences. All right, let's uh, let's see. We're going to go to uh, Dan, class of 1962. He said, hey, Coach Hyde, thanks for your comments about JC football programs. One last thought. Before freshmen were eligible to play varsity college football and the size of the team was virtually unlimited as opposed to the current 85 limit and 25 per year limit, schools would have freshmen go to a JC just so they could play in 10 games and possibly a Junior Rose Bowl or Potato Bowl game as opposed to just to playing just four games as part of the Trobabes freshman team. As someone who went to East LA JC before transferring to USC as a junior, I have also I was always greatly valued the JC programs. Thanks, Coach Hyde, for your support of JC programs. Fight on and win, Dan, class of 1962. Well, yeah, I think the junior college program is great, and uh, there's a lot of transfers that I think the question was uh, going to junior college for your freshman year and and uh, being able to then transfer to a, a university. I, that's the way it used to be. You used to be able to transfer after one year and it was pretty simple you get the necessary grade points passing number of units and so on and and you'd be able to get in a, a four-year university but then as we discussed it all started with uh, mike white at the university of illinois when he got all those jc players from california and around the country to go into the big 10 and win the big 10 and go to the national championship in the big or to the Rose Bowl, and the Big Ten didn't like that. So they put in a lot of rules to eliminate that type of transfer rule because they didn't uh, have the same opportunity to get those junior college players as as Mike White did with his contacts in California. But I think that uh, the junior college programs are awesome. I think they're great. I think they do a lot for a young man that doesn't know what he wants to be academically. They have smaller class sizes than large universities, so I'm not saying you get better instruction, but you get more personal attention. You get more personal attention as far as you, in your growth, as far as a young player. You can grow up. You can mentally know what you want to be. You can go now to a university that you really know more about and what you want to be, and also uh, they're not going to bring you in unless they think you're a true player to play. So the junior college program, I'm a product of the junior college program as far as a player and coach, and I think it's a great thing. Uh, they call it community colleges now. And uh, anyone who's had that experience exactly knows what I'm talking about. Uh, coach, I don't know if you checked out the Netflix show uh, Last Chance You. Have you seen that one before? Yeah, sure. Definitely. Sure, sure, sure. I uh, I hadn't that's watched a, it. That, that... Yeah, like the so they, they... – 
they followed East Mississippi Community College for two seasons. So I watched those. Uh, and I'm on the third season, which is uh, Jason Brown. And he's he's a kid from Compton who's coaching out uh, at Independence in Kansas. And uh, I didn't realize like the California JC system was like completely separate than the rest of the of the country. But it's really interesting, you know, how these players are trying to get through the JC system and try to get these offers and go to big programs. It's a really cool show. It, it really is. And I'll tell you, uh, it's the California Junior College Association and the National Junior College Association. The main differences are, and they're separated, is on the national scene, you can give athletic scholarships, okay? In California, you cannot give athletic scholarships. People are, they qualify for financial aid, that's fine. But in the National Junior College Association, they can give scholarships. So that's a big thing. I, I was a part of it when there used to be a game called the Junior Rose Bowl the first weekend of December where we played, and I had an opportunity to coach that game a couple times. We had 60,000 people in the Rose Bowl. We played Jones Community College one year. Jones Community College is where the big defensive tackle, I think his name was Brown from Auburn, who went immediately in the early rounds. And there's a lot of uh, players. We played Hines, Mississippi. We played, uh, what was it, Henderson Junior College. These are all from the National Junior College Association. We tried to put that game back together again. The National Junior College Association wanted to do it, but the California Junior College Association voted it down through their own current process. It used to be California against the world because California had more junior colleges combined than the National Junior College Association had. So uh, we don't have that kind of a competition now. You can play, at least the last time I heard, you can go play at Tyler, Texas. You can go play one of those schools uh, the way I last heard, unless they've changed that rule, but it was really great to have those type of ma uh, matchups. We, uh, we got a question from Ed in the Bay Area, Coach. He said, uh, Ryan and team, I was listening to CBS Cover 3 podcast, and I heard something that I think uh, the football leaders should take into account. Everyone is focused on missing spring camp and all the training hosted by the school. Well, one of the cover three hosts was a former Yale safety. Uh, he's talking about Barton Simmons. Um, so, yeah, he played at Yale. I think it was a – I don't remember what position. It Maybe it was a safety. But, um, yeah, Barton, great dude, uh, national uh, recruiting analyst for us here at 24-7 Sports. I think he, he heads that department. He said everyone was responsible – so this is at Yale uh, when he played. Everyone was responsible for their own fitness, and camp started on August 1st, period. I know we want our high school level programs to have a bunch of training and prep, but is uh, is it really a requirement? Doesn't sound like it to me. It's a nice to have, not a have to have. Just something to think about when considering the start of the season. After hearing that, I feel we could have a longer season than I was originally thinking if the powers that be really want a close to normal season. Fight on, Ed, in the Bay Area. Well, yeah, um, he's talking about what what is he talking about? Not having a, a workout period and all that year round, or what is he talking yeah, about? Yeah, so like for Yale, so what Barton was doing at Yale, they just showed up to camp August first. Everything else was on your own. So he's saying that having all of these organized, you know, spring football and off season workouts are a nice to have, not a have to have. Yeah, well, maybe that's the way it was. I don't know if that's the way it still is. 
because even the Division three programs now have spring practice and they have strength and conditioning coaches and all of the above. It all starts where someone you think has an advantage on you, so you start doing it too. Now, maybe Yale is still that way, but I don't think it's in the best interest of the kids not to be prepared to go out and practice football and, and do the things that are necessary. Maybe that is true. I know when I played, it was uh, our responsibility as a player to get in shape. It's, it was that way in the NFL. They call it uh, pros, uh, preseason, where the, the players in my day uh, had jobs during the summer. They had to work during the off season as far as supporting their families or making money to go to school and so on. But as times went on, the programs uh, received more money and, and training was more important and teams that did it were more successful. So everybody picked it up. It, at one time, uh, training and weightlifting was supposed to tighten you and you weren't as good an athlete, but you got tight and your muscles were too big and all of the above, but that all came around with great training where it did balance it out. So I think it's important to train. I think there's a point of burning out too. You've heard me talk about that. I think the mind and the body needs a rest and uh, away from it. And I think there's that, that, that people don't get that. And I don't think coaches get it. I don't think the players are getting it. I think you've got to be able to be a person for a period of time and be away from the program and continue to work out on your own because that's your responsibility to return to camp to be ready to play. But I agree there's a burnout period and everybody experiences that. How many of the Super Bowl teams repeat every year? It's very difficult to go through mini camps, preseason season, 16 games, the playoffs, go to the Super Bowl and then recoup and get ready to go back to camp. It's very hard even for the guys that are in the business of playing football to do that. It's a, it's a burnout. So I think that, yes, I think there is too much football year round on all levels. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's going to be a necessity. So I, I get what Ed is, Ed is saying. You don't have to have all that you know, spring football, team workouts, all those things. You don't really need, I mean, it's nice to have those things, but you don't need it. If everyone doesn't have it, then everyone's on the same page. And I think you'll still get a good product. We got one more email coach and then one uh, longer voicemail. Both these have to do with the head coach, Clay Helton. Um, we got, uh, this is from Ron, class of 2006. He said, thank you for pro providing a place for us to inquire about USC football. You're welcome, Ron. I'm a fan of Clay Helton. But will he be replaced if he does not make the Rose Bowl? It appears the 2021 class, if they stay committed to USC, will help Coach Helton and the football program. What do you think, Coach? Well, I think it's uh, very important to have a, a big season for Clay Helton. I really do. I think uh, uh, winning the Pac-12 is, is something that people are going to expect. Or they're going to say it's the same old thing. I think they need to have a big year. Uh, will it be the end of Clay Helton? I don't know. That's hard to say, uh, depending uh, exactly what the record is, too, and how the team improved and all of the above. Uh, but I, I, I think the Rose Bowl is the goal. The Pac-12 championship is your first goal, and automatically, if you're the Pac-12 champion, you'll go to the Rose Bowl, except for this year, because it's a playoff game. You'll go somewhere, though, and if you're ranked high enough, you will go to the Rose Bowl for a playoff game. So I think that's your goal, to always go to the Rose Bowl, because that means you won the Pac-12 championship. 
Will they, will they replace him? I don't know what Michael Bone's philosophy is. I think Michael Bone will evaluate the entire program and see if it is working towards the a product that they want at USC. And if it isn't, and if it's failed, and if the, the losing games is supposed to win, and it's not happening, I think they'll make a change. I do. But right now, they're talking about the money not being a problem. And I think it's going to be a problem. Don't get me wrong, unless they have a football season. I, I, I Like I said, I think last week, I told you on one of my shows, I think the big money in college coaching is coming to an end. I think I came along a little bit too too early <laughs> And uh, the guys that are coming along now are going to be a little bit too late. But you see now already coaches and athletic, uh, and athletic directors taking discounts as far as 10%, 20% on their salaries uh, before they, they have even decided if there's going to be a football season. So, uh, yeah, that's what I think. All right. We got uh, one last voicemail. This is pretty long. It's our buddy Rick. Uh, I'll play it for you. I'm gonna have to stop it as we go because he asked like five questions. But I'll, uh, I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll break it up into pieces because you can't remember all these different things he's talking about. All right, I'll start playing it, Coach. Hey, podcast. Glad to hear you guys are doing well, guys and gals. And um, it's nice to hear all the input you guys have. I got about five or six part question. Sorry to beat the dead drum about um, Clay Helton. As a coach, I don't believe he should be. But anyways, here are the questions. So first off, how is, how is he as a past recruiter? He's been an assistant. He's been a head coach. Hasn't he been around six or eight years? We should know by now how he is as an as a recruiter. And you you guys have also said that he's the hammer at the end. He's a, the closer. So if that's the case, then why was the class so bad last year? Would you say the class of 55? He's such a great finisher. How come the class is so bad? Secondly, our all right, coaches- all right, we'll stop it there. Um, so, coach, if you if you couldn't quite understand that, he wants to know about Clay Helton. Yes, Clay Helton it was a good recruiter. He's a good closer. Why was the class bad last year? Well, the team was five and seven the year before, and he had a lot of bad recruiters on his staff. Now you can point that at Clay Helton. He didn't need to have part-time recruiters or less than part-time recruiters on his staff. But in general, if you're looking at, if you're going to evaluate Clay Helton, what do the players, the recruits say about Clay Helton? It's mostly positive. And he's done a pretty good job of closing things out. Now, last year, everything fell apart in the class of 2020. Um, they got a better staff now, so they're doing things. But I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Coach. No, it was one of those years where you didn't know you were going to have, uh, who was going to be the head football coach. It was so... So many uncertainties in the USC Trojan football program that players elected to go other ways. Where and people, as you said, uh, weren't recruiting as hard as it was necessary, and other people were coming in with their great staffs and probably downplaying USC and the future of USC and their football program. And why would you want to go there and all of the above? And it takes effect, uh, and that's why they did have a, a poor year. But uh, they they've got to rebound. I think they made some put some patches on the on the uh, flat tire, and you hope that it's going to get better. But uh, uh, you shouldn't have those type of years at USC ever. No, and ho- hopefully I can restart this one. Let's see. Hey, podcast. No, I Glad can't. Oh crap! All right, so Rick, the point is, don't leave two minute voicemails because we're not going to be able to remember everything you said by the time we get to uh, uh, the other minute. But he had a lot of questions. So the one was about the finisher. Um, 
he I, he also asked about, do you think Sam Darnold really saved Clay Helton's job when he came around? And do you think that uh, Keaton Slovis would do the same thing, coach? Well, you know, my thinking is, yeah, I think he did. Sam Darnold was a great leader, and he made plays all over the football play field. I mean, he was a coach on the field. Uh, you know, I was very critical of the offense that was being run at that time. I called it 31 flavors, just one of this series, one of that play, series or whatever. He would find a way to win. He he found a way to make the big play. He found a way to win the Rose Bowl game. He just found ways to doing things. And I think when you have one great season like that, uh, everybody remembers that great season, and you're willing to have another season. They give you another season because they always refer back to that season. But Sam Darnold, man, I'm telling you, he was uh, awesome for USC and what he did for the Clay Helton program at USC. Does Kendon Slovis have that same ability? Well, you'd like to hope he does, does, but he's not the same type of player that Sam Darnold was. Same Sam player uh, Sam Darnold was more physical and and uh, of course Kenneth is younger. Don't get me wrong, and it's a different offense completely. Uh, relies on the pass uh, completely, and uh, he's a good kid and he's doing what he's been told to do. But I'm worried about him as far as being a target. If you notice in the NFL draft, uh, they're all after athletic quarterbacks now. You've got to avoid the rush. You've got to move around. You can't let them know where you are. I'm just repeating things you heard on the draft show if you watch the draft show. But I've been saying that for 10 years here on our radio show or podcast here. So I worry about his health, and I worry about that happening. As far as with JT Daniels got hurt, he got hurt. Who knows? When you're around there and you don't move and they come after you, uh, it, it's really a difficult thing, but I certainly hope he can do the same thing from the for the Trojan football program because that's what everybody's looking forward to. Yeah, and then one last thing. Um, sorry, I'm reading the like transcription of his voicemail because I don't remember everything he said. Rick, you can't leave two two plus minute voicemails where there's no way we'll be able to play it. But he wants to know: Is Clay Hilton uh, a vengeful coach? Is he someone that if you wrote something bad about him, um, would he not want to? deal with you anymore and uh i would say no i mean i i've written you know i wrote earlier this year or i guess well not earlier this year like you know late last year why i felt clay helton should have been uh let go and not retained and he's still very nice to you i mean he's still uh, you know he's just a very likable guy like you can there's a lot of fans that just want everyone to hate him and he's not someone you hate the players like him uh you know the media like him you know we like him we you know we don't always like everything he says, but there's, um, you know, as far as, you know, him helping us do our jobs, he's not something that's going to impede us from doing our job. So I would not say, you know, if you write something bad about him, he's not going to like call on you to ask a question or anything like that. That's just not the way that's not him. That's not the way he is. No, that's not Clay Elton. Clay Elton is a truly sincere, nice person, maybe too nice to be a football coach. But uh, he is who he is. And as I said, he's got to accept who he is. And the people have got to accept who he is. <clears throat> we talked about this last week where he has to surround himself around some people, and he's done that now, who can pick up the slack where he's not really good at certain things. And, uh, you know, uh, that your personality is who you are. And uh, you're not going to change that. You either like him or you don't like him. I've, I haven't heard of anybody 
who has ever met him said that you didn't like him, okay? Now, a lot of people out there are making their opinion as far as on his football performance or or how the team is done or whatever. That's a different That's a different thing, evaluating the football program, the offense, the defense, and so on. But as an individual, you couldn't meet a nicer person. Yeah, agree with you there, Coach. There's no question about that. So um, it's hard for some of the fans to, I guess, separate, um, you know, uh, what they feel about. They don't want Clay Helton to be the coach of their Trojans in their mind, but because they're so mad, they have to try to say bad things about him. And it's just, those aren't true. You know, you can say you don't like him as a coach, but to not like him as a play, as a person just seems like just haven't anyone that's talked to him and met with him. Like you said, I've never had anyone say, yeah, I didn't really like him. Everyone likes him because he's a likable guy. And that's who he is. And, uh, and people who have met him will, will continue to tell you that. And, uh, we don't always agree on coaching or offense or defense or things that you're doing, but uh, a lot of people don't agree on the things that we discuss here, but it's just our opinion as far as the type of person that he really is. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's wrap things up. That is the coach, Harvey Hyde. Coach, I hope you stay safe. Thanks again for coming on. And same to you and all of our listeners out there. Follow the rules and we'll beat this thing. Yeah, follow the rules because we want college football to happen. Uh, all right, that's the coach. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 